Our Bible reading tonight is taken from the book of Malachi, chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 10 to 16. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? Is it because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth? You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be faithful, unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Let me say again, it is great to uh, be here this evening. You were introduced to me a little bit earlier. I want to introduce uh, you to this man. Uh, this is Pat Acton. Uh, has anybody come across Pat Acton before? No, I wouldn't have thought so. Pat Acton is a specialist. He's a specialist in taking ordinary matchsticks and with incredible and purposeful dedication, and commitment, and patience, and a whole lot of glue, binding and building them together into something glorious. Here is Washington's Capitol building. Check that out. 478,000 matches. Uh, And here is uh, Hogwarts. Harry Potter School, 602,000 matches, 3,000 hours, and uh, best of all, 24 gallons of painstakingly, lovingly applied glue. If that's Pat and his matchsticks, how much more God and us. The story of the Bible and the story that Malachi finds its place in is the story of God and his people, a covenant God and his people, covenant a word that comes up in that first verse of the reading that Carl read to us. And what I mean by covenant God and his people is this. One, that God is committed to his people. Our maker 
with a love and a patience and a dedication that far outweighs even Pat Acton's, has committed himself to us, you and me. Literally given of himself for us. Through a story of big promises and mighty actions and ultimately coming in Jesus Christ, God has shown that he's faithfully, unswervingly committed to his people. But not only does covenant mean God is committed to his people, it means that us, God's people, are bound together in one family. God is more of a specialist than even Pat Acton at taking ordinary individuals, people like you and me, and through his commitment to us in Christ, binding us, gluing us together in one family. He's our father, and we are brothers and sisters. And a family of more than just our shared blood, a family bound by the blood of Jesus, growing together. And thirdly, as God commits himself to us in love and binds us together in Christ, he's actually shaping us into something. Not a a matchstick model building, but a spiritual temple, says the Bible, in which God dwells in us and with us. In the Old Testament, the sanctuary, uh, the tabernacle or the temple, modeled God dwelling among his people. In eternity, we'll be with him face to face. But even now, he is shaping us, you and me here together tonight, into the home in which he dwells by his spirit. A home that reflects him and what he's about, just as no doubt our homes reflect something of us and what we're about, for good or ill. And just as our homes speak to others about us, and Pat Acton's models reflect his skill and passion, so God shapes us to show the world his glory, his greatness, his love shaped so that the love and the blessing invested, poured into us, may shine out from us to others. That's the story of God's covenant, his loving promises that are ours in Jesus, the one story in which we find the hope that our human hearts and our lives are made for. Unconditional and committed love, a real sense of identity and community, meaningful, lasting purpose. This is the story of promise in which the book of Malachi is rooted, a book which begins, as you have now doubt seen earlier in your series, with an affirmation of God's covenant commitment. I have loved you. Malachi 1 verse 2. And we're here at the start of Uh, Verse 10, the passage we read tonight, chapter 2, verse 10, we're reminded of the God who made us and who, as the true father to his family, has bound himself to us and us to each other with love and promise and purpose. So as you sit here in Bloomfield tonight, this is the beginning and the end of what Malachi says to us. 
Our Heavenly Father is committed to, to us, to you. Jesus Christ gave himself in love for us, for you. The Holy Spirit, God in us, binds us to Christ and each other. So you can look around, feel free to, at the people at whom, with whom you are bound to in Christ, the family of God. And he's shaping us together to be the place out of which shines God's glory and love and blessing to others. Never doubt the committed, loving, promised purposes of the Father, Son, and Spirit for you. That is the amazing covenant God that we know and that Malachi knows. But it's clear, isn't it, from the passage, that Malachi is concerned. Why? Let's go back in your mind to Pat Acton's Hogwarts model. And just imagine for a moment that some of the matchsticks, some of those 602,000 matchsticks, are starting to break away, to jump ship, to choose out. Because they've looked around and they thought, you know, I could be doing something else. I could be part of something even greater. They've begun to doubt the greatness of being part of the big thing that Pat has made and forget the dedication that he's given each one of them. They look around and think, you know, it might be fun to be part of something else, something that doesn't require so much self-giving being stuck with these guys? Maybe I could even go alone, start my own fire. Imagine they start to unstick themselves from the matchsticks they're next to, the matchsticks they're particularly glued and committed to. Cracks start to appear. Hogwarts crumbles a bit and becomes tarnished with broken and burnt-out matches scattered around the outside. It no longer stands as the sort of thing many people think is worth looking at. It no longer reflects very well on Pat Acton. Malachi is concerned. He's concerned that the people of God are being unfaithful or breaking faith. That's the phrase he uses five times in this passage. Breaking faith from covenant. Doubting God's commitments and promises, looking away from God, wanting to break away from the binding attachment they have to others within God's family. Lured by the appeal of a foreign God, says Malachi, which actually sounds very similar to the spirit of our age. A God that pulls on the human heart to doubt the love it's received and think maybe the grass is greener on the other side there's something better elsewhere a God that says don't worry about your commitment to them where will they get you? think about you lay aside those frustrating dull long term commitments of 
building relationship and character, of growing in holiness and patiently helping others to grow. Choose the more immediate highs of happiness and gratification. So Malachi is concerned. He even says this is a hateful thing because of the consequences he sees. Cracks he sees appearing in the church. It's desecrating the sanctuary, he says in verse 11. And Malachi is not talking about a physical building that's in a bit of disrepair. It's the holiness and glory of God that he's set in people that Malachi is concerned about. When God's people, the people in and among whom he dwells, the people he's shaping to reflect his glory, start to break up. Something that's set apart to be beautiful, to be unified, to shine God's love, to bring lasting blessing to a watching world, starts to crumble and split and become a bit shoddy and indistinct. Malachi sees people whose relationship with God and each other is now fractured, now more joyless than ever, people groaning through the motions of empty worship, people reflecting so badly the God who supposedly lives among them. What glory is shining through the church when we're looking away from God and breaking away from each other, says Malachi. Hmm. At this point, we could go a whole number of different places, couldn't we? Perhaps you are already in your minds. The church, maybe at large, maybe a congregation you know, and it's breakdown, and where if you were Malachi, you would particularly pinpoint the blame on any particular day, We could go for a whole downer on the church, couldn't we? That's quite easy. Actually, what I want to do, and keeping in with the language, I hope, and the drive of this passage, is to apply this to two particular related areas that Malachi is concerned with, and that actually are still hugely relevant today, given that same spirit of the age. They may or may not be anywhere close to where you're going in your minds, what you're thinking. And what you're thinking may be a real issue too. But I want to stick with them because they're important. But before we get there, we do need to see this, that rather than just fly off on a downer about church decline, there's a real sense of hope from this context of Malachi. And... Maybe I, for one, have just heard enough hopeless moaning about the church. Here's the thing. We already know that God is a covenant God committed to his people and promises. We may well know that through Abraham, God promises to bring blessing through his offspring. And he means by that Jesus Christ and us in him. We might see the hint of that promise even in these verses as once more God speaks of desiring godly offspring. But clearer than that little hint that may be in there, Malachi is firmly set in the Old Testament hope for a Messiah, looking forward to New Testament fulfilment. 
It's the story of how people in themselves are faithless, but there is a faithful one to come. Of how God's true messenger, that's what Malachi means, my messenger, is coming. A refiner, as Malachi will soon put it. God coming to his sanctuary to restore the broken to rightness and glory, as Malachi is soon to say. A redeemer turning people back to God forever. The faithful one giving himself for the faithless ones. The one who will come and will declare, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. So God's promises and purposes are safe in Jesus' hands, no matter Malachi's concerns. Nothing will stop his church, and it will fully and gloriously reflect the one who lives within us. There's no need to doubt or be down on what God is doing by his spirit or his great purposes through his body, his bride, the church. And there are great stories of what is happening around the world today. The real question for us is this. How are we responding, you and me, to the love and the grace and the power and commitment that God has shown and continues to show us. With his spirit in us, strengthening us to live for him, how are we prepared and committed to playing our part in the church, this fellowship maybe, reflecting God's glory? And this is Malachi's urge to us to respond. He says, Guard yourself in your spirit. Be on your guard. And do not break faith. Take seriously your covenant commitment, given the commitment God has shown you. What's interesting in this passage is that Malachi uses the language of marriage, another covenant. He uses the language of marriage when he talks about breaking faith. It's there in verse 11 and 14 and 15. Don't break faith with the wife of your youth, he says. Which I think makes for two particular applications for us. One is about the actual specific issue of marriage. The covenant of marriage within the people of God, being on our guard that our marriages reflect God's glory. But also, marriage throughout the Bible is a picture of the relationship between God and his people. It happens at loads of points throughout the Bible. For instance, Paul makes a big thing of it in Ephesians, saying that marriage talks about the love between Christ and the church. And here it is also in verse 11, when Malachi talks of Judah, that word for God's people, people covenanted to God, who were lured towards this foreign God, breaking faith with God. So I want to say Malachi is talking about marriage, but not just about marriage, but also more widely about the church. Let's take marriage, though, to start with. Um, And I have to say, I've been thinking about marriage quite a lot recently, uh, for good reasons and not so great reasons. It's been in the public sphere, it's been pastoral, personal issue. It's been something I've had to think and talk about a bit. I hope, please bear with me as I try and be pastorally sensitive about this. 
But what I want to say is this. In the ever-present temptation to put me over us and to forget long-term commitment for apparent immediate happiness, Malachi is saying to people then and to us, be on your guard and take care not to break faith. First, because marriage is that picture of God's love for his people. And marriage can speak wonderfully to others, people around us, about the goodness of self-giving, of commitment, of fruitfulness. All of which is amazing to dwell on. But of course, that is why God is so grieved. As we see here in Malachi, at marriage breakdown. Now hear me rightly here, I'm not saying at all advocating staying in something that is abusive and damaging. Simply that going astray from covenant commitment doesn't reflect the self-giving, gracious, devoted commitment that God shows us and wants others to see through our marriages. But more than that, marriages actually about more than two people. We kind of get into this idea in our day and age that it's just a kind of relationship between two people who go off to make this private romantic arrangement between two parties. But marriage is more than the two people. It's a public social commitment and covenant. We say from a biblical basis, it's the basis of family life. So where a marriage is blessed with children... It's for godly offspring, as Malachi says here. And it is a foundation block, we say, of society. From as far back as Adam and Eve, we learn that even apart from children, this is a partnership designed to be fruitful for the wider common good. So marriages we make actually affect lots of people and potentially in fantastic ways. But marriages we break also affect lots of people too. Any children? Wider families? Colleagues? Friends? Neighbours? The community? The church family? Marriage is important to God because it's more than about just those two people. So, Marriage is a great thing. And I want to encourage people who are wisely thinking about getting married to be married. But my first point is this. Be wise about getting married. It seems that Malachi is particularly bothered about God's people marrying the daughter of a foreign god. Marrying someone who fundamentally does not share your faith in Jesus. You know, the spirit of the age lures us with the lie that we're no one unless we have that special someone. That we need the person who completes me. That we will remain an insignificant, unfulfilled person without a significant other. But the Bible tells us something different. It tells us marriage actually isn't for everyone. Some have a different calling. It tells us that all of us, married or not, shouldn't put 
our hope in a particular person rather than God to give us true significance and meaning. It tells us that Jesus himself shows us what it is to be a truly fulfilled human being, and he wasn't married. It tells us that to choose to marry outside of God's people, someone who isn't a Christian, may well open up cracks. Because they may be the loveliest man or woman, but they don't share the same fundamental understanding about who truly owns your time or money. You belong to God in body and spirit, says Malachi in verse 15. Or in how to bring up your children in the ways of God, says Malachi in verse 15. And it's going to open up cracks with other sisters and brothers in the church who are also living with the same desires, yet choosing not to marry unwisely. So be wise about getting married. But if you are married, invest in the marriage you are in. In verse 13, Malachi sees men, although it could equally be women nowadays, dumping the partner they've been married to since they were young for someone else. Maybe it's the guy who's having his midlife crisis and goes after a younger woman, someone who understands me. The one who gives them what they think they need and want. Leaving behind the person they're bound to till death do us part. The spirit of the age paints marriage as a short-term contract that lasts until I grow weary and find someone else. It paints unfaithfulness as not such a big thing. Life is short, have an affair, said the infamous website. It paints divorce instead of a last resort as an easier option than working at commitment. But the Lord sees marriage as a covenant he's witnessed. He's made you two one to reflect his committed love to others. And you know, that doesn't mean there won't be uh, attraction to others. But it recognises a greater commitment of love that stops acting on that attraction. I honestly can't think from the day we married, Ruth was automatically blinded to the attractiveness of anyone else. Uh, some suggest the only thing she was blinded by was the light shining off my head. <laughs> but it's a covenant commitment of love to me she made and I to her, excluding all others. Unfaithfulness, however, is a crack in the covenant. The matchstick that chooses to unstick itself from where it's properly bound desecration of what is holy. Never irredeemable in Christ. Hear that? Never unforgivable by Jesus. But never anything but damaging. Instead, be on guard and do not break faith with your wife or husband. Recognize the temptations. Invest in marriage. Again, the spirit of the age says it should feel natural, and and if you have to work at it, it can't be right. But actually, self-giving love isn't that natural to two sinful people who are pledging themselves to each other, and they're going to need to commit to communicating and understanding and being together. If you're approaching marriage, that's great. Make sure you've gone through a marriage preparation course. If you're married, that's great. Go on a marriage enrichment course. 
read books about marriage, Tim Keller has a terrific one out. Commit time to each other that your marriage may reflect the love of God. And perhaps in moving from the specific issue of marriage to the covenant people as a whole, us, we need to recognize as God's family bound together and need to be on our guard to encourage those who are married or considering marriage that they may be healthy, Christ-centered, God-honoring marriages for the good of our church community. But also seek to be a supportive, non-patronizing, inclusive, strengthening place for those who are not married. Some of whom may possibly in their heart and mind want to be married, but are seeking to live faithful, committed, shining lives for God within this community of faith. Some who look back on marriage for good, some who look back on it for ill but all who need such grace and fellowship. Let's not make things harder in the church and the things we say and do, such that people are hurt and fractures appear. Let's work at being one, committed, loving family in Christ that we all feel part of. And it's on this note, and moving from marriage to the church, that I want to make just this final application. We are people who know God's commitment to us and how we've been bound together in Jesus. And for those of us who are members here, we've actually made vows to each other about being God's people here. And at each baptism, we make vows to every young child that comes among us. So for the sake of the church and its witness, for the sake of new generations coming and growing up among us, We must keep our eyes on Jesus and on one another. It's trite, but it's up there on the screen and it's true. Joy is Jesus, others, yourself, in that order. We must be on our guard against a me and my preferences first attitude that will fracture that fellowship and joy and our witness. So the spirit of the age wants to compromise the church. Which makes it so tempting, doesn't it, to want things done the way we'd like them done. Not least the worship. It's so tempting to look elsewhere and see what others are doing and moan about what we aren't, what we haven't got. So easy to be down on other people in the church who we disagree with, who we don't think bring much to the party whose tastes are so different from our own. It's tempting for many to go and try to find a church we like better, that has better, cooler, holier people or things. It's tempting to set things up so that we break into different groups according to our preferences and favourite songs and speaker styles and never really spend any time together as one diverse family of God. And so it's easy, actually, to model to new generations that church is all about preference, all about what you want to get out of it, that self-fulfillment is way more important than commitment. And so, of course, it'll only be easy to see new generations say, okay, well, we choose none of that. Let's not break covenant with God or each other 
to the detriment of new generations, godly offspring. Let's seek to model in our own approach to church this family. Us over me. A lasting commitment to patiently helping each other in all our differences to grow more like Jesus together rather than just breaking off or jumping ship. A maturity that shows me giving up my preferences for the sake of others, that they may feel included and thrive. That is a true family of God's people. That really will model more and more the glory and love of Jesus to a world which is broken and confused and needs to see in us, the church, what real, living, loving, committed hope in Jesus truly is. Amen.